center and coming in as Loom. Hillendike centered it. with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, we are underway this hour. It is Monday, November 13th with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. Pat Steinberg along with you on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450 or explore the full line of safes at CalgaryLockandSafe.com. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lots to get to this hour. Lots to dive into this hour. And uh, it's time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. Well, Vix, we uh, have new line combinations once again for the Calgary Flames. Team practiced Monday in Montreal ahead of Tuesday's game against the Habs to wrap up this road trip. Here's what the lines look like. And we'll see if this is uh, the way they go. First of all, Jacob Markstrom, first full practice. Looks like he will get the start Tuesday in Montreal. More on that later this hour. But from a line combination standpoint, looks like this. Uh, they had Elias Lindholm between Adam Rizicka on the left and Andrew Mangiapane on the right. Nazem Kadri centering Connor Zeri and Martin Pospisil. That means Michael Backlund had Blake Coleman on the right and Jonathan Huberdeau on the left. And then uh, Dylan Dubé with Yegor Sharangovich and then Walker Dewar, A.J. Greer, kind of a mishmash of wingers working with uh, Dylan Dubé at forward. Uh, D looked the same. Uyghur Anderson, Hannafin Tanev, Zadorov with D. Simone Gilbert is the seven. So that's the way things looked at practice on Monday. But those forward lines, again, we'll dive in specifically on Huberto in a second. The big takeaways, number one, Lindholm and Huberto broken up. Number two, Huberto with Backland. And number three, the one that maybe is the biggest surprise to me is Kadri, Zeri, and Sharon Govich broken apart, which I don't love. Okay, I'm glad that you brought that up because looking through the lines today and catching them on Twitter, obviously we're not sitting in Montreal, we're here in Calgary. I don't like necessarily breaking up that Zeri, Kadri, Sharon Govich line because I thought that they had found something with that combination. And I think you could have found a way to get Huberto and Backlund together. At the same time, I don't think Pospisil should be on your fourth line as well. I think he's played quite well in his uh, limited showing with uh, Backlund and Coleman on that line. So I understand the tinkering a little bit and putting Nazem Kadri with the two kids. But at the same time, I don't think Sharon Govich, Kadri, Zari was ready to be moved away from at this point. So not to bury the lead here and talk about Nazem Kadri, Sharon Govich, Zeri over Huberto going with Backlund and Coleman. But I don't think that that second line was one that needed to be tinkered with in my books. I That to me is a no-brainer to keep together. And I just, I don't think you needed to drastically switch things up after one game. What one rough game against you had Ottawa. points in three straight? They were two zero and one, and yeah, I know that the Ottawa game didn't go so well. They just could not find a way to convert on their opportunities, and the Senators did. 
I thought the Flames actually at 2-1 after 40 minutes of play were in a good spot. I got no problem with the five-on-five lines. There are two things that happened on Saturday night that killed the Flames. A, the power play was garbage, and they need to figure that out. The power play not only didn't help them, it hurt them. It hurt them in the first period, and it really hurt them when they had an extended opportunity down by one after a huge kill. They killed off 71 seconds of five-on-three late in the second period, then got a power play. They had more than a minute on it to start the third period and did nothing with it. It it, It looked way too predictable, way too pedestrian, and it sapped momentum. And, and I thought that the power play to start the third period killed momentum just as much as Nikita Zadorov's weird giveaway that led to the 3-1 goal. I The five-on-five forward lines had nothing to do with Calgary's loss, in my opinion, on, on Saturday night. I, I thought for the first time they had something, and now here they are right back in the blender. And it just feels like... And look, I know Ryan Husk is the coach, and... and he has a better feel for this stuff than I do, but or you do or anybody else does. Of course he does. That's that they're they're there all the time. They're looking at analytics. I just felt like for the first time there was a real opportunity to keep some lines together and to keep some combinations together. Specifically the Kadri line. I think it's more than just Kadri and Zeri as a combo. I think Sharon Govich has right. been a really yep. nice fit there. And I thought Pospisil with Backlund and Coleman made a lot of sense. So real head scratcher as to why we're seeing the lines put it. I still like, and then even with such a juggle, Dubé's still on the fourth line. I, I don't know. There, there are, there's a lot of confusion with what I saw from 2,000 kilometers away today. I get moving Huberto around still. I do. He hasn't scored in 10 games. He's got three assists in that span. So you're still trying to find a home for him. And I understand putting him with Backlund and Coleman because last season, and it is last season, but when that combination was together, they had a little bit of success. They had expected goals for 56.9% when the trio of Huberto, Backlund, Coleman were together. That was the that's among uh, lines that have played at least 120 minutes together. That was fourth highest. Ironically, read into the stats what you will because the top of the top four expected goals line combinations, Huberto was on three of them. The only one he wasn't on was the best one, which was Mangiapane, Backlund, Coleman. Expected goals aren't goals. I understand that, but if you look at it from that metric, there was a little bit of success between Huberto, Backlund, and I Coleman. Actually didn't, I didn't mind them together last year. Okay. I didn't. I, and we only saw it for... I don't know, six or seven games consistently. But I thought I thought when they were together, there was something there. I understand why it didn't stay that way. I don't think it's going to stay this or that way for the long term this time around either. So I don't mind that. It's just I don't know if he needed to break up the the cadre line, I guess is my big takeaway. Sorry, no, and I, I and, and I don't think you you necessarily needed to either, but I understand the juggling portion as it pertains solely to Jonathan Huberto putting him with Backlund and Coleman. And I think we need to start talking about Backlund and Coleman as as Backlund and Coleman being fixers, not just Michael Backlund. I Agreed. think Blake Coleman Agreed. plays a massive part in it and he doesn't necessarily get the credit he deserves because whoever goes on that line, whether it's Pospisil, Mangiapani, if you wanted to experiment more with Matt Coronado there, I think there would have been a, a bit of a resolution, but I think Huberto's best insulated right now with Backlund and Coleman. So I understand that. 
I understand you want to put Pospisil somewhere that isn't the fourth line based on what he's given you through his three or four games. But I and I don't know. This is where it gets weird because we're talking about breaking up Zary, Kadri, Sharangovich, and I think you need to elevate Pospisil if you're taking him away from Backlund Coleman. But I don't necessarily think he should be on the top line either with Elias Lindholm. Although I'd be curious to see Pospisil, Lindholm, Mangiapane as opposed to having Adam Rizicka there. I understand it to a certain degree moving Sharangovich down, but that doesn't mean I necessarily agree with breaking up that trio of, of Zary, Kadri, Sharangovich. Because I, 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 thought just... I thought they had finally found something in a top six line that was, to a degree, set and forget, at least for the foreseeable future. I, I wouldn't have made, to be honest with you, I, I wouldn't have juggled anything coming out of the game against Ottawa because I didn't think at five-on-five five they played poorly until... Their energy got completely sucked away with a bad power play and, and a turnover. bad giveaway on the second half of a back-to-back. I thought that they were doing a lot of good things prior to that. And for the first time, it felt like they had some continuity. And it's something that they have had a really difficult time finding. And then one rough game, and it's back into the blender. I don't, I don't even think they needed to break up Huberto, Lindholm, and Mangiapane. I, th- I thought they had a really good opportunity to let that breathe for a little bit because you had the Kadri line and the Backlund-Coleman line with Pospisil that were just so set and forget that you knew they were going to go out there and get the job done. And then the way the fourth line played... Dubé with Greer and um, who's on the left side of that line? Rizicka. Uh, Rizicka. The way that line played against Toronto and Ottawa was really strong as well. Like I came away from the Ottawa game thinking about the Zadorov trade request, thinking about how the hell did they get the power play to a higher level because it's really hurting them right now. But I did not, and and I came away thinking to myself, "Geez, Dustin Wolf gave him a really good effort despite the loss." I, I did not come away from that game saying, oh man, they need to juggle up those lines again. At some point, I feel that some continuity and going for a few weeks with similar line combinations is the way to go because that was the least of their problems in Ontario. That was the least of their problems against Ottawa, it, at least in my opinion. I know I'm not a coach. I know I understand that. But from afar... It seems a tad surprising they got juggled up so dramatically. Yes and no, because again, to go back to Jonathan Huberto, you're paying him ten and a half million dollars. He's got three assists in ten games. But is, and... is should you should you be completely jacking up all the chemistry of your team just to try to get him going? I know how much he gets paid. I know how important it is. But like when you've got two other lines that are playing so well, is is it worth it? from a team standpoint, a team success standpoint, to make those changes, those wholesale changes. All four lines have changed. I'm not suggesting that all four lines needed to be changed, but I can see the scenario where you're putting Huberto with Coleman and Backlund because you haven't got near enough, near enough out of Jonathan Huberto. And who are your best fixers? Backlund and Coleman. So moving back to the Huberto, Backlund, Coleman line, to me makes sense. They're, like they're, It's not, oh my God, I can't believe they're moving Jonathan Huberto into Pospisil spot. Your $10.5 million guy needs to give you more than three assists in 10 games. And if you've got to sacrifice your de facto third line 
to, to make it happen. I understand that. What I don't get is other than wanting to elevate Pospisil for a job well done, taking Sharon Govich off of the cadre line, because to me that was over the course of the last four or five games, to me, that's been their top line. That's been their number one line. And you've split it up partially to promote Pospisil. But other than that, there are other ways to, to give Pospisil more ice time, whether or not you want to try him on the left side. Keep him on the left side because that's where he's had his success so far with Lindholm and Mangiapane. And Rizicka can play that fourth line role like he did Saturday, Friday against the Toronto Maple Leafs, Saturday against the Ottawa Senators. But I understand you've got to try every trick you have until your bag is empty. But one of the to tricks they, more out of of the tricks they haven't tried is letting the line breathe with Huberdeau on it, especially when you have other lines that are rolling. That's a quote unquote trick they have. So haven't I would suggest subscribed. the answer to that is is we saw enough of a sample size last year and this year to just say, you know what, Huberdeau and Lindholm, if we let this breathe, what have we seen out of it so far? Probably not enough. The stats will say not enough. It's not even a situation where it was earlier in the season where Nazem Kadri wasn't producing, but the underlying metrics still showed a bit of a positive story with Nazem Kadri, and we've started to see his numbers match what the underlying numbers match. And I mean, we I, haven't seen that out of Jonathan Huberto, regardless of where he's played. I did think that the Kadri line together had their worst game against the Senators, but I mean, the Flames scored four in Toronto. And ended up losing in a shootout. They also at five on five in Ottawa the following night at high danger out chance the Senators nine to four. Is this the Cadre line you're talking? No, just just, uh, I'm, just overall. Okay. I thought the Cadre line struggled against Ottawa, but they've been so good that one game I'm not just gonna throw that out the window. Right. I don't know. I just I, I I felt like I do I do get what you're saying about how about a little continuity because we have not seen it at all. Point, it's time to give a little bit of a stretch of time where things look the same and and one loss where I didn't think the Flames played that poorly at five on five at five on five was the time to do it at least in my opinion and look I get it on the Huberdeau front this is uh I, I understand because I thought the Huberdeau line with Lindholm and Manchapani was very I had the two worst lines against the Senators were the Kadri line and the Lindholm line the Kadri line was a departure from the norm that was right. the first Poorish game, and they have enough runway where you go back to that. If they have one poor game, you don't split that up based on twenty percent of the sample size being not up to what you want. I get it on the Huberdeau front, and he was like, I I understand what you're saying, and they got to get him going, and maybe putting him with Backlund and Coleman is the way to go. Um, The Flames practiced in Montreal. Jonathan Huberdeau is always going to be a topic in Montreal. Of course, he was linked to the Canadians prior to the trade to Calgary, prior to him re-signing in Calgary. So lots of talk about Huberdeau with Ryan Huska post-practice on Monday and uh, him bouncing back from the benching, so on and so forth. Here's a little bit of Ryan Huska following practice. He's done a lot of things really well. Again, it's, you know, we talk a lot about last year and the adjustment that he had to make, but um, he's a real good hockey player, and he's an important piece of our team. So when he's when he's moving his feet and he's controlling the puck, he's a real good player, and that that'll come. Is he still adjusting? You think? Um, I think the adjustment part of it's done. Um, now it's about kind of finding his way consistently. I think that's the most important thing now. 
Yeah, you had to. No, sorry. I mean, yeah. Go ahead, no. You <laughs> go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> you had to, to have, have a talk with him maybe uh, after the, you know, the benching incident? Or not? We talk all the time. Like, that's not just a one-off thing for us. We have conversations almost every day. Yeah. You had him on the line with uh, Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman at practice today. What was the thinking of that? Um, just the, I, I think when you when you're putting your lines together based on your opponents that you're playing against, um, Michael sees a lot of minutes against good lines, and I think that um, the way Michael and Coles are playing will allow Jonathan to be himself a little bit more. Yeah. I know you're probably tired to talk about Hubert Lou and the incident of being benched in the third period, but as a rookie coach, was it in a certain way a gutsy call or a risky call? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think because we work on building relationships with the players, you, there's unfortunately you never want to see it happen. Um, you don't ever want to put a player in that situation. But when you're trying to win hockey games, um, sometimes that's the way it goes. Players don't have their A game every single night. And whether you're uh, Wayne Gretzky or Marty Lemieux or um, Jonathan Huberto, oh, it happens every once in a while. It's how you respond is the most important thing. And I think he's done a good job with that. So that's Ryan Huska uh, after practice on Monday on the uh, on Huberdeau specifically and right at the end there a little bit about him playing with Backlund and, and Coleman. Same thing that you're saying. Move them to the fixers and see if the fixers can get more out of them. I just I don't know. I like I liked the way things were trending. I'll read you. Go, go ahead and then I'll read. Some I was just going to say, if they rolled with Huberto, Backlund, Coleman for five to 10 games, dedicated themselves to it, would you be more forgiving of that alignment, knowing that there will be consistency in the lines? If they decide to go this route for 120 minutes of five-on-five play, give it a real big sample size with Huberto, Backlund, Coleman, would you be more in favor of it? Because I think you and I will both agree that from our perspective, there's been too much line juggling. There's been too much, this won't fit here with that and there, so we're going to keep rotating through till we see lightning in a bottle like we did with Zeri, Kadri, Sharon Govich, although they did move from that after the Ottawa game. Would you be more accepting of this shuffle if you knew at least the Huberto, Backlund, Coleman line are going to get five to ten games? I, I don't know. All right. Maybe. Fair I, enough. I don't know. I, just, I thought that there was a chance to go with a more solidified lineup for a little bit. I thought things were trending in a good direction. We'll see how this goes. And if this ends up being a tonic for Jonathan Huberto, then you might be proven to be 100% correct that this was the smart move, even if it's only a three or four game shot in the arm and then goes back to another line and plays better. Who knows? I'll read you a few texts at 969.60. This says, if you want to get the $10.5 million guy going, maybe scratch him for five games and see how he responds. No line is going to get that dude going, unfortunately. Uh, this says, Pat, the bottom line is the Flames only manage one goal in a game, in a game against a team that's below 500. This team has to generate more offense, whether it's from Huberdo or the other 11 forwards, put them in the blender. And I take issue with that. They scored four the night before in Toronto and then generated quite a bit and couldn't finish against Ottawa. And I get it that couldn't finish is a problem and that finishing is part of the equation, but Since these lines had been together, 
I thought the Flames had been their most effective consistently five-on-five, both in terms of how much they had the puck and what they were doing with it in the offensive zone as at any point this season. So I I, I disagree with the the kind of, I don't know, I, I disagree with the, the crux of that text personally because I thought they were quite dangerous against Ottawa and were pretty offensively on it the night before in Toronto. Well, and that combination of lines had gotten them points in three straight prior to the Senators game. So I do understand the consistency of looking for the same lines game in, game out. But I also, again, $10.5 million has gotten you three points in the past 10. That's a big thing. Yeah. Like whether you like it or not, for the most part, this team is going to go with how Jonathan Huberto performs and how Nazem Kadri performs. Kadri's rounded his game to be more productive. The underlying numbers were there now. The actual goals, assists, points, and by byproduct of that wins started coming. Haven't seen that out of number 10. You need number 10 going whether you like it or not. This says the power play is terrible. Mark Savard was hyped up so much, but the Flames power play looks disjointed and confused. I, I agree. And I think I think Mark Savard's a really smart guy. But they've got to figure out the power play. It is it has really hurt them here in recent games. Uh, this says put Huberdo on the fourth line. Leave the rest of the lines. Move up Greer or Dewar or another one with Lindholm. Huberdo's no good. We can all see it. Ten and a half million dollar fourth liner. It sucks, but don't punish the other guys for it. Uh, make him prove he can play back up the lineup. This says, boys, WTF with chemistry being the biggest issue with the team this year, and they finally found two lines that actually look good. Why are they going about messing up those two combos? Anything to appease Mr. Ten and a Half Mill, I guess. I thought when you're making that kind of money, you're supposed to be in charge of getting yourself going. Maybe I'm missing something. So frustration. Uh, This reads, I hear you on not splitting up the cadre line, but the goal here is to get at least three lines cooking and make Huberdeau productive. Not putting that line in the blender for the greater good is like sticking at 17 in a game of blackjack. Go flames go. That's from Nick and Roxborough. Um, so there you go. That's uh, some of the responses on the text line at nine sixty nine sixty, which I think lots of good response on both sides of the conversation. Absolutely. And I don't get me wrong. I get both sides of the conversation and I don't think putting Huberto with Backlund and Coleman is appeasing Mr. 10.5 mil. I don't think Huberto is marching into the office and saying, I need to play with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. And I also don't think he's in a position to march into an office and say, I need to play with player X right. and player Y. But as we've talked about a lot of the time with Chris Tanev, and that's where you put somebody that you need to get going, or that's where you put somebody that that's new to the league and, and can insulate a bit. Michael Backlund, Blake Coleman are your two best. Tell you what, if it doesn't work with them, then red flags, sirens, you name it, should be going off because... It probably already should be. Well, I mean, fair enough. And they are. Let's not pretend like they're not. Fair enough. But if you can't get... Internally and and externally. externally. But if you can't get going... Like, I'm... If you can't get going with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman, then yeah. And this is, to me, the next logical place to try Huberto, to be perfectly honest. And after that, I don't have any suggestions, thoughts, or ideas. I just, I don't agree with that. I Sorry, I don't disagree with that. Like, I agree with that, that that is the next logical place. Yeah. I just didn't think you needed to do it now. 
That's so you kind of, agree it's the logical place. You disagree that the, it's the time for yeah, it. Yeah, I can I 100%. can fully understand you on that's that. That's maybe front. that's maybe where we're disagreeing right. because I agree on the premise. That's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Hello, fans. Calgary Co-op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save, and win with the new Calgary Co-op app. Download on the Apple Store and Google Play Store. So it looks like Jacob Markstrom's good to go. Looks like he'll return to the net. Tuesday night in Montreal, he took full practice reps on Monday. Uh, we knew this was going to be a minor injury, so he was scratched for two games. Uh, the Flames handled it well. Uh, they they made the right call with not pushing Markstrom if he didn't need to be pushed. You had Vladar, you had Wolf, but Markstrom's ready to return. He spoke after practice on Monday as well. Yeah, it was good. Uh, you know, obviously... Uh... It's always frustrating when you're uh, not practicing and when you're not playing games with the guys. And uh, uh, you know, it's been a few days since I since I had a practice with the team since we played back to back. So, but it was good to be out there, and you know, body body feels good. So, yeah. I'd imagine good sign though in the fact that you were able to still skate or at least go through a few things over the last couple of days. Does that still kind of help that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, me me and Barb's had to uh, skate it twice uh, during this time and. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, we feel like we had to get get some stuff done, and uh, you know, we're feeling good. And now, uh, but today was nice to get back with the with the guys. The timing of it, I know you can never control that, but you mentioned frustrating it coming off that game where you know you get the win, and you know the you know then you kind of have to take a step back. I mean, what about the timing, just in terms of you know your mindset? Uh, you know, I don't think it changed much. It's uh, you know, it's not been you know, three weeks or two weeks. It's, it's still a short period of time. And I was able to skate, uh, you know, you know, every day except one day. And uh, so, yeah, that was, uh, it was, uh, I feel good now and I'm excited to get back in there. You just touched on it, but you see the signs you need to see in order to be uh, kind of where you are when that return comes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I feel good and that's all you can uh, kind of go take day by day. and. Uh, Today was a was a really good day, and I'm uh, excited to get back uh, back and playing and battling, and you know play for two points. So he basically said he'll be back. In yeah, against Mon- he's gonna play against Montreal. That's the right call. A week between games, he tweaked something Tuesday against Nashville. That's why they brought Dustin Wolf on this trip. There was no need when you've got a guy as good as Wolf. We'll talk about Dustin on the Daily Flames Roundtable coming up a little bit later this hour. In fact, in just a few minutes on the Daily Flames Roundtable. But when you've got a guy that you can trust like Dustin Wolf, when you've got a guy like Dan Vladar, who's your backup to Jacob, and Markstrom's a little dinged up, well then, don't push it with Jacob. Do what you did. Vladar Wolf on the back-to-back, give Markstrom a little bit of extra time. Now he's good to return, put him back in against Montreal. And they, I, I think they handled the goaltending situation here really well. And it's time for Jacob to come back when he's 100%. He's your meal ticket. He's your number one. I thought they, I thought they, they played this correctly with the goaltending. And, and it gave Dustin his start, gave him that opportunity and that reward. Vladar is the the good soldier who's the number two at the NHL level. He got the first game of the back-to-back. So this was, I think, handled correctly by the Flames. Yeah, we spent an entire summer trying to figure out how you were going to integrate Dustin Wolf into some sort of rotation or where he's going to get his NHL starts. And if you're starting goalie, the guy that's played nine of 14 games for you isn't quite good enough to go. And you have the luxury of the back-to-back AHL goalie of the year who's not yet 23, if my memory is serving me right. I think he's, what, 22 right now? Why not 
use it. You have the roster space. You have the cap space by way of, you know, being an LTIR. Yep. Why wouldn't you bring up the guy that you're trying to find a spot for and get NHL games for, and you've got a road trip that contains a back-to-back without a healthy starting goalie? Absolutely, you bring up Dustin Wolf and you split the starts between Vladar and Wolf, and Wolf gets his start, Vladar gets his start, Markstrom gets his rest, Markstrom recovers, Markstrom returns to the crease. Yep. It's it's it, there couldn't have been an instruction manual written clearer yeah. for the Calgary Flames Agreed. on how to do this than the way they executed it. By the way, he turns 23 in April, so he's still a ways away from turning 23. So you are correct. Perfect. Uh, I like it. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're underway this hour on Flames Talk, and we're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wet Basement, they have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They are all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time for a Monday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 Formatic Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Steinberg, Aaron Vickers of NHL.com this week on Flames Talk. And now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, completes our Daily Flames Roundtable on a Monday. Uh, Gents, there's been a lot made of Nikita Zadorov and his trade request that came out following Friday's 5-4 shootout loss in Toronto that's been kind of the dominant Flames topic ever since. Zadorov played Saturday against the Ottawa Senators and uh, is set to play Tuesday against the Montreal Canadiens to wrap up this road trip. Doesn't sound like there's any rush to get a deal done as the Flames will continue to work on their timeline as they should. I, I don't believe the Flames are urgently feeling like they need to make a move here to accommodate the trade request. Now, the reason I'm about to ask this question, gents, is because I saw it a lot on Saturday ahead of the Ottawa game. I saw a lot of, what are the Flames doing playing Nikita Zadorov with a trade request? So I'm curious to you, gents. Uh, should they be holding Nikita out of games while this trade situation plays itself out? To be honest, it's hard for me to have a strong opinion one way or the other without knowing where Nikita Zadorov's head is at. Because I thought he had a great game on Friday in Toronto and was one of the big reasons why the Flames picked up a point in that 5-4 shootout loss versus the Maple Leafs. But quite frankly, it did not look like his head was in the game on Saturday in Ottawa, where I thought he struggled really from start to finish. And for me, the the biggest turning point in that hockey game was – now, the Flames appeared to have momentum going from the second period to the third period. They scored a goal, killed off a couple of penalties, got a power play that carried over from the second to the third. And then I don't know if he was trying to throw a hit while handling the puck or what happened when he turned it over on that 3-1 goal, but his head just did not look like it was in the game on Saturday night. Uh, and I guess you could understand why. Um if he's still engaged and still wants to help this hockey team win games, which would help his trade value, then yeah, I would keep playing him. But if he's going to play like he did on Saturday, not that you would be able to predict that going into tomorrow night's game in Montreal versus the Canadians, but you know, if his head's not in it, then uh, maybe his body shouldn't be either. 
Yeah, I was. Uh, that's a very good point because I was like, oh no, of course you keep playing him. Like, why wouldn't you? But at the same time, Will, you brought up a good point. If he plays himself out of the lineup voluntarily, if you start stacking a couple games like he played against Ottawa, then you might not have a choice. But if he goes back to a regular old Nikita, then absolutely you keep playing him and you you do this on your own timeline. If you're Craig Conroy, you're not worried about making a move or a trade to appease Nikita Zadorov or Dan Milstein. You just keep going about your business. The Calgary Flames are in the business of trying to put together wins at this point right now. And if Nikita Zadorov is one of your top five, top six defensemen, then you absolutely keep rolling him out there to the team's benefit. And if he returns back to the, I'm going to assume that the one game in Ottawa is an aberration and he goes back to playing 18 minutes of quality hockey like we've seen through most of this season, then absolutely you continually roll him out there. But if he, you know, keeps making one or two major turnovers that can that can turn the game against you, then maybe you got to revisit it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, for me, I it's pretty cut and dried for me. Like, I I don't think you unless there is a trade imminent, right? You don't hold yeah. him out. He's he, and I don't think a trade is imminent as it stands right now. Who knows? That could be different on Tuesday, but unless unless you're closing in on something and you're like, yeah, we think we've got a we've got a trade partner, we just need to work out the particulars, well then, yeah, you hold a guy out if, if it's going to take another 18 hours or 26 hours or something like that. Yeah, well then you protect the asset. But right now, you're not trying to protect the asset. In fact, you're trying to build the asset back up. And if you're the Flames, I don't think it does you... Zadorov's still one of your five best defensemen. And I know he... There's no question that the distraction of everything played into what happened right. Saturday against Ottawa, but he'll adjust. He's a pro hockey player. He'll he'll adjust. I, I got no. I have I have no misconceptions that he won't adjust. I I believe that it'll slowly get easier for him to play with those quote unquote distractions. So yeah, you keep on rolling him out there because you need his trade value high. And the Flames by by this going public, it hurt the Flames' leverage in trying to make a deal. So the way that you combat that is you do it on your timeline. You let the player keep on going out there, and hopefully he doesn't do what you guys are, are saying and continues. And to I play don't expect like him to. I, and I don't either. I, I think I think he'll be fine and back to being a pretty good player like he's been for most of this season. That's going to help everybody. That's going to help Zadorov get his wish. That's going to help the Flames do this quickly and get a good return. So yeah, I don't I don't think they're. Unless you're close and closing in on something, he's a pro hockey player. And as a pro hockey player, you're paid to play. Whether you want to be elsewhere or not, Jacob Chikrin played two seasons in Arizona or more with a trade request hanging over his head. Sam Bennett played pretty well in those 30 games while his trade request was public. Travis Hamanick played pretty well with the Islanders before his tra- For an entire season, he played with the Islanders before he finally got dealt to Calgary or longer. Uh, so, so guys can do this. I think that's on. I think it's on Zadorov to go out, be a pro, play through it, so that the Flames can accommodate his trade request in a logical way. Because I don't think that they should be panicking or knee jerking. I don't think that they should urgently be trying to accommodate this because they got to get their leverage back. And leverage returns with a little bit of time and with this whole vortex passing. So, long story short, I I don't believe that they should be holding him out. Yeah, I mean, from a, a professional perspective, I'm not a huge fan of the fact that Nikita Zadorov, with comments he made two or three weeks ago and 
Now this trade request has become a distraction for this team on a couple of occasions this season. But on the flip side, he's played really well for the most part. You know, he's been easily one of their top five. And on some nights, I think you could argue he's been their best defenseman. On the personal side, do I think that the trade request and the uh, uh, social media explosion that happened after that on Friday night had something to do with him having an off night on Saturday night? I do. But I also try to look at things from a personal perspective. And don't forget that him and his wife and his two daughters just went through uh, a tough time dealing with some family stuff. And, you know, right after that happens, not right after, but uh, pretty quickly after that uh, happened. And, you know, they had to come together as a family and the the Flames certainly gave him and and them the time they needed uh, to be together. Uh, He had to go on the road for three games. So I, I do wonder if part of it may have been him thinking about getting home to his wife and his two daughters in Calgary. So maybe that had nothing to do with it, but I always just try to look at it from um, the player's point of view, because sometimes we think these guys are robots, but uh, I try to remind myself that they are human beings and they have stuff going on outside of the game. So uh, hopefully he's uh, back in the lineup against the Canadians uh, on Tuesday and helps the Flames uh, uh, battle for a, a couple of much needed points tomorrow night. If I'm an NHL head coach slash general manager and I've got a player slash asset that's looking for relocation, I put him in the lineup and I tell him, hey, the fastest we can move you is when you're playing the best. So go yep. blow the doors off of everything, raise your value, yep. get us a good return, and we'll, we'll happily move you as soon as we see fit. So play him. Hopefully his value goes up. If, you're, if, he, if he wants out, then he should be encouraged to put his best foot forward. Have him do that. And then the rest kind of takes care of itself. Yep. Uh, Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg on this Monday. Uh, Dustin Wolf got the start against Ottawa Saturday night. Made, uh, what, 32 on 36? 34 on 38. 34 on 38. Thank you. I knew it was even numbers. 34 on 38 is what Dustin Wolf made in his season debut between the pipes. Uh, what did we make of Dustin Wolf's first game in the NHL this season? Well, first of all, uh, Dustin Wolf was not the reason the Flames lost that game. Uh, It was way more about the 18 forwards and defensemen in front of him. Uh, I always judge a goaltender based on whether or not he gives his team a chance to win the hockey game. And in my opinion, Dustin Wolf gave the Flames a chance to win that hockey game on Saturday night. It was 2-1 after 2. They were within a goal, as I said earlier, I thought they actually had momentum going from the second period to the third period, and they were behind by one with momentum, and they couldn't get it done at the other end of the ice. They couldn't tie the game on that power play that they took from the second period to the third period, and I think that kind of killed their momentum again a little bit. And then again, that giveaway by Zadorov on the 3-1 goal, Wolf had a 0% chance to make that save. And for me, that's when, for all intents and purposes, the game came to an end. The Flames looked completely deflated after that 3-1 goal. They certainly didn't look like the team that they did for the most of the first 40 minutes on Saturday night. So I thought Dustin Wolf uh, gave his team a chance to win. I don't think he looked small, which is one thing that I've worried about with him because, well, physically he is small, uh, mentally because he thinks the game at such a high level and is so technically sound. He's been able to overcome that at every level that he's played at. And the other thing that jumped out to me, he was really quiet in his crease. There didn't appear to be any panic in Dustin Wolf's game. 
Uh, it's hard for me to say that he was good or great on Saturday night. The Flames lost by three, but in my opinion, he isn't the reason they lost. So uh, I give him passing grain for what I saw against the Senators. Yeah, for me, I don't think it was a world-beating performance, but I don't think it was a, a sky-is-falling outing either. As you mentioned, Wilsey 2-1 going into the third period. He gave the Calgary Flames the chance to certainly win that game. And I also think that the team didn't play all that well in front of them, if I'm being honest. Going Running through the goals, the first one was a deflection. Not ideal. It is what it is. Second goal was on the power play. Weird bounce that he wasn't able to track it. Puck popped up in the air, dropped down beside him. So be it. Third goal was that tic-tac-toe off of that. Not pleasant Zadorov turnover. Wilsey, you're finishing that goal. I'm 100% confident in that. I'm pretty sure yeah. I'm finishing that goal. Pat's probably 50-50 on it. Yeah, I was going to say, don't put me <laughs> wow. in the same And the fourth goal shot through traffic from the high slot. Maybe that's one I'd want back, um, but you can't pin the performance, the outcome was, I on. Think he was screened. He was screened, hence the through traffic part. Come yeah. on, Patrick, come on. Uh, so again, it wasn't over at that point. Yeah, and, and yeah, it was like, close the book. It's, it, it's, it's done. So I, I don't look at his performance 34 on 38 is you know a pretty tidy effort from a goalie anytime you're creeping up to that 40 shot mark chances are it's been a, a busy active game for you it wasn't a oh my god this guy's going to take over the starting goalie role tomorrow but you still saw the glimmers of okay this guy has the potential to be an elite goalie at the NHL level so he's uh, I know it's two games six periods he's got a 919 in the NHL um I guys I came away from that game, I'll be perfectly honest, I was more encouraged with what I saw from Dustin Wolf than I was going in because I thought he showed the things that are going to make him successful in this league very, very clearly. We know he's an undersized goaltender compared to the rest of the league. We know that it is tantalizing for shooters to pick corners on him because he gives up way more space than other goal. Compare him to Vladar or Markstrom. He's given up way more space than, than those two guys are just based on his physical size. But even though the Sens didn't create a ton, especially in the first 40 minutes, a ton of like really high quality opportunities, I thought we saw seven, eight, nine different occasions of what makes Dustin Wolf the goaltender he is, and that is his elite anticipation Vision. and hockey IQ and ability to read the play, where he was ready for things that we're watching from on TV, and he's reading them quicker on the ice than we're watching on television because that's how high-end his brain is for, for reading the game. You know, we're, we're here on Mike Vernon Induction Day, and that's what people talked about Mike Vernon, who is also, an, even for the time, an undersized goalie. And everybody talked about how smart he was and how he read plays. That's why Vernon's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame first and foremost, because of the way he thought the game. Yeah, he didn't look like Jaguar in that. I can tell you that. No, he sure as hell didn't. Well, Dustin Wolf thinks the game at an elite level and adds on to that elite athleticism, reflexes, and competitiveness. And that's what we saw. And that's what's going to keep him in the NHL. That's what's going to make him a successful level, a successful goalie at the highest level. And I just thought that we saw that. And so I came away more encouraged that this is the level he should be at watching that game, despite the fact he allowed four goals. And guys, I do not think this conversation is going anywhere anytime soon. In fact, I think it maybe turned the heat up even just a little bit on the flames in terms of when do we get this guy in again? 
And how do we how do we expedite making room for him at the NHL level? Not like not cranked, but like if you're on a little barbecue thing, it's a little bit of a smidgen up to turn the heat up. The and dial, the, the the dial just went up just a little tick, and it's this story ain't going anywhere based on what we saw Saturday. Yeah, I would agree with that, Pat, and uh, I'm with you. Um, I think he took a even if it was a small step, he took a step in the right direction getting uh, that second NHL game under his belt. And, you know, I, I know the first one was meaningful for him, but it wasn't meaningful for the Flames. It was game 82, and they had already been eliminated from the playoffs. So really the first meaningful game that he's played for himself and for his team in the NHL. The one thing I, I do wonder about with him, because he's undersized, and I watched him pretty closely on Saturday night when there was traffic in front of him. Now, quite often when... Jacob Markstrom at 6-6 and Dan Vladar at 6-5 have traffic. They're able to stand up tall and look over that traffic. Dustin Wolf has a hard time doing that. So what I saw from him was him getting really low to try to look through that traffic. And he does such a great job, to your point, Pat, anticipating the play, reading the play, tracking the puck. But I do wonder... Once there's a book out on him at the NHL level, if that's something the teams will try to exploit. But with that said, there's been a book out on him at every level he's played at, and he's uh, overcome all of the naysayers during his hockey career. So uh, who am I or or who is anybody else to say that he's not going to do it again? But uh, again, I thought he gave the Flames a chance to win that hockey game against the Senators on Saturday night, and that's what I uh, expect from a starting goaltender. Wilsey, all I can picture now is Dustin Wolf trying to stand on his tippy toes in the crease, trying to look over ah. a player that's like six four. Like it's now, it's just burned in my mind. He gets good vert on that jump. Oh yeah, the jump <laughs> is incredible. Probably not efficient when you're trying to look through a crowd in Maybe front not. of you. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the answer either. Probably not. <laughs> I'm no goaltending expert, but I, I'm just throwing ideas out there. Uh, good stuff, Wilsey. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you on game day Tuesday. Okay, guys, have a good one. He's Derek Wills. He is Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That's your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. A couple of texts at 969.60 as we went through the roundtable. This says uh, Wolf's like a second version of Jonathan Quick, the way he moves in the net. His athleticism is stupid. It's, That's the only reason he's at the level he's at, to be perfectly honest, is that, his that athleticism his and his hockey sense. You mix that athleticism and those reflexes, like he can't be a blocking goaltender, right? Doesn't matter. You could give him the biggest. He cannot be the late 90s, early 2000s blocking goaltender. He has to be the reactionary goaltender. He's so, got to be 86 Patrick Waugh, not 95 Patrick Waugh. Well well said, exactly. And so he, he has the athleticism that's off the charts, the competitiveness level in terms of how he battles, and then the way he thinks the game. Quick, Saros, Thomas, those are kind of the... Tim Thomas was not a was not a large man. No, Tim Thomas was maybe the most unorthodox goaltender, successful goaltender since Dominic Hasek. Okay, I thought you were going to well, be like. I think I think Dom is the best of all time. No questions asked. The greatest goaltender to ever play the game. I think Tim Thomas, from a just a natural talent standpoint, is one of the greats we've ever seen too. What what that guy could do with 
limited size. 5'11", for those wondering. Out of his mind, how... The worst gear, though. Bad gear, helmet? bad helmet. That mask. Hasha got a bad helmet, too. Yeah, but worst helmet in, in elite goaltending history, Dominic Hasek. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Like he'd been over in North America for the long the the the, the Soviet bloc was over. Like you can upgrade to a goalie helmet. Him and Arters Urbe, just like what are you doing? Can you imagine a goalie wearing a Hasek helmet now? No. Like I feel like, but Dominic was... Dominic won back to back heart trophies with. I it. feel like he took one right off the noodle and it broke his helmet and he was bleeding at one point and he still would go back to that mask. Anyway, yes, I think that Quick's a good comparison. Uh, this says Zadorov clearly doesn't want to be a Calgary Flame, hence the trade request. I'd sit him until there's a trade. Let him sit for a couple months. Flames aren't making the playoffs anyway. Seems pretty black and white to me. Just my opinion. I think you don't do yourself any favors by doing that. You don't do the player any favors in terms of getting his trade value up. Who the hell is trading for somebody who sat for three months and giving you good vibes? Right. I think that, that just hurts everybody by not playing him. And uh, I thought Taylor from Caroline made a really good point. In my opinion, if it was a couple weeks before the trade deadline, sure, sit him. But it might be three-plus months before he gets moved. You're not sitting him for multiple months. That's where I am. Uh, Taylor and Caroline and I on the same page. That'll start to uh, wrap us up. Great stuff on the text line, as always. Uh, we start to wrap up this hour of Flames Talk. Thanks to Taylor and Shan, our producers this hour. Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that'll do it for the Sports Drive Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450 or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.